Hello, and welcome again to another episode of the Trial Lawyer Podcast. My name is Gabriel White, and I with the law firm of White and Garner. And today we have a very interesting topic. We're going to be discussing punitive damages. What are the upsides? What are the downsides? Uh, why insurance companies just hate them so much, even though they never have to pay them? And um, what are some of the strategic considerations that plaintiffs should take into account when deciding whether to include them in a complaint? Um, today with me is going to be my partner, Dan Garner, who's also here at White and & Garner, and um, the inimitable Scott Powers of Snow Christensen and Martineau's. So it should be a really good discussion, and we hope you enjoy. So we're here today to talk about punitive damages. Punitive damages, as some people know, but some may not, are designed to punish a party for purported wrongdoing. So in, instead of compensating the person who's been wronged, we're, we're, we're going above and beyond that and we're punishing the bad actor. And these are damages that are typically reserved. I like how you just said punishing, by the way, and it's nice. Don't. <laughs> well, punitive, right? Punishing. 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 Like you was talking about one of those bike workouts in his basement. It was punishing. In the well, I was, pain I was more, I was more was punitive actually, damages. Actually, I was exercise. picturing like the movie theater trailer voice. Oh. Like in Punisher. Punishing. In a world character. where damages are insufficient to compensate the cl- No. This is... Where uh, the person acted so terribly. Well, what's a standard for punitive damages in Utah? What do you mean? Like the... the Clear and convincing willful, proof. No, it's willful. Willful malign, or malicious conduct that it, that, that intention or or conduct that in, invents a uh, willful disregard regard for the rights of safety someone. and rights and safety of others. I don't think it's safety is built into it. I think it's the rights of others because they don't want to necessarily limit it to a personal interest. Just case. double check. Yeah, bring yeah. it up, Gabe. Bring it up. In any event, look up the statute. Look it up. Uh, punitive damages are the topic of the conversation today because they are frequently misused and there's some question about whether or not they're really all that useful uh, for a variety of reasons. I'm sure Gabe will rant about that. Uh, the problem I run into a lot of times in, in defense-related work is that people allege them when there's just simply no real basis for that. I've got a number of cases right now where they have either been alleged or threatened uh, by way of a gross negligence or or malicious reference in the complaint, and there's just not really any merit to that. And and the the problem you run into with punitive damages, in particular on the defense side, is you you're in a scenario where unless you are representing a very solvent client, punitive damages aren't something that the insurance company is ever going to pay for. So if you get a big award for punitive damages against some guy driving his, you know, 1987, you know, Oldsmobile in this accident, you, you, he, the odds are he's not going to have any ability to pay some big punitive damages award because he was drunk at the time of the accident. It's just simply not going to happen, and his insurance policy is not going to cover that either. So seeking punitive damages for him from him is probably not. I don't know, the, the best way forward, although you might get such an award. Well, uh, my understanding is that there is an open question uh, in the Tenth Circuit as to whether or not the existence of a valid or cognizable 
uh, punitive damages claim is a basis for, in, in a subsequent action, for uh, a, a bad faith attorney to say, you could have settled this case for within your policy limits and protected your insured from a puni- the, this punitive damage claim, which you knew they were going to have to pay on their own, and you did unreasonably decided not to, and therefore you've committed bad faith. Well, I don't know. That that's 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 an interesting proposition, and I can see that because you you know on the on the defense side you're thinking I got to take care of my insured client, but the insurance company says when we wrote this policy of insurance there was no question that this particular area of damages is not something that we can or under public policy uh, or should or under public policy can. Most states it's illegal. For yeah, them to that's insurance. my point. Yeah. And so if that's the case, how is it then that you can say, well, you should have taken care of this where there was never any risk, absent some bad faith claim, that you were going to be on the hook for them? Right. And so just you guys asked. <clears throat> I think the argument against that too, though, is like if they've done something that would qualify to you know, engage punitive damage. Yeah, to justify them being punished. And the damages are there, then... Well, the damages then are... Then I think it's reasonable to say, well, then the the economic or non the specials or the general damages will, would have probably been there to justify settling within policy limits. Well, no, but but my point is, you, you raised an interesting fact, and I thought this is where you're going, and maybe I didn't just didn't hear it. Uh, if an insurance company pays that, then the, the policy, the purpose for the punitive damages is being frustrated because you're really not sticking it to the party that needs to be punished if the insurance company, this third-party contractual entity, comes in and saves the day. Mm. Well, and, and let me just That's cut... That's a good point. Then again, if you have X insurance... Let me just cut in here real quick so that we all know what we're talking about. 78B-8-201 of the Utah Code... Um, says, except as otherwise provided by statute, punitive damages may be awarded only if compensatory or general damages are awarded, and it is established by clear and convincing evidence that the acts or omissions of the tortfeasor, the person who caused the, the injury, are the result of willful and malicious or intentionally fraudulent conduct or conduct that manifests a knowing and reckless indifference toward and a disregard of the rights of others. No injury reference. That's true. It just, but that's what, yeah, that, yeah, we were right, more or less. Um, so, yeah, there's your there's your magical statute. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think that sometimes... The reckless part is interesting. Well, and, there, there are, and it's a lot, I think it's a, the complaint is... There are some plaintiffs' attorneys who plead punitive damages all the time. That's what I was going to say. I think that you take away from their utility and their their import when you throw them around in every single little wiener case that you have. You know, if someone if someone was walking their dog and the dog, you know, for whatever reason was set off and bit somebody, yeah, right. You have you you have a cause of action for negligence or, or strict, liability strict liability for yeah. this dog bite. But to, to, to pretend that unless you've got this long history where this is just Cujo and the, the owner knows that this dog is biting everybody. Or the dog, the, the owner's trained the dog to be a correct. dog. Correct. Then, yeah. you know, don't, don't allege punitive damages. And, and I see it. I mean, I, I've seen it in construction cases. 
Well, and <laughs> and I think the it's seriously it's, it's well I can sure, I could see how that could happen, but it would definitely be. But it takes the right set of facts. Yeah, no, I agree. Sure. And I think, you know, I think that oftentimes, you know, I I'll explain why I, I typically uh, it's very rare for me to plead punitive damages in a case, but um, I think I can see how this is a much wider door. Uh, then the defense often portrays it because, you know, you've got, you know, you've got to show that the acts or omissions of the tortfeasor are a result of willful or and, and willful and malicious or intentionally fraudulent conduct or conduct that manifests a knowing and reckless indifference towards and disregard of the rights of others. So there's like if they're willful, malicious, intentionally fraudulent, so if you're doing, if, if you've got a fraud case, pretty much any fraud case, you could plead punitive damages or conduct that manifests a knowing and reckless indifference toward and disregard of the rights of others. Now, texting. What, what does that mean? Yeah, texting while driving is, is one where... I would say that's reckless. You could say it's reckless indifference toward and, and, and shows an indifference towards the rights of others. It's not... But a lot of the times... When we have had this argument with opposing counsel, it's because it seems like in their heads they they're, they're, they stop reading after willful and malicious or intentionally fraudulent conduct. And, and they don't read in that last section. And I'm not talking about whether it's strategically a good idea to plead punitive damages. I'm just saying whether it's legally appropriate. And I think there are a lot of cases where it's legally appropriate, but I, I think my point of view in this scenario is that there's many times even where it's legally appropriate it's not um productive it's not a, a wise direction to go especially given the the sharing well happens. the the regime that utah is and and the federal government the set up team set up to <laughs> what for the, the record regime. yeah regime? And, and and for the record well, it gabe is, is wearing harsh. a I never no, it just shirt. means it just means that the the set of rules no i get what you're saying yeah. i mean maybe the technical dictionary definition is that but when i think of regime it's like nazis <laughs> But before we get into that, just a brief word from our sponsors. Unfortunately, most lawyers are never available when you need them. Many of them don't put your interests first. The lawyers at White & Garner do things differently. We take each case very seriously. We will always put your interests first. We represent people who have been injured in accidents. We also handle commercial litigation cases. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. Getting your actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare, no matter how important your case. At our firm, every case is important, and every client gets our full attention. We only take cases that we are comfortable taking all the way to a jury trial. Every move we make helps us better prepare your case for trial. To get the best results at trial, you need a lawyer that is paying attention and that is not afraid of a jury. You need the lawyers at White & Garner. Each client of White & Garner has access to their attorney at any time, any day of the week. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case at any time, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. 
If you hire a lawyer from White and Garner, we will be there for you when you need us. That is our promise, and we keep our promises. Okay, I was just saying, you know, they're they're the system that they've set up to deal fight the with, system, man. What system? Uh, what system is right, man? To deal with punitive damages. This is no longer the trial lawyer podcast, and this is Gabe's insurrection podcast. The way they tonight. deal with it, punitive damages in the state oftentimes makes it not advantageous to plead punies. Agreed. Um, in, in a case either for the plaintiff so or for the defense. As a defense, I was going to say guy, person, side, when you see punitive, is that just, does that, you think it increases or decreases leverage, or is it very? It's probably just case dependent. But. It is case dependent. I I don't think it increases leverage meaningfully, and a lot of times I think it indicates, assuming that again that the case doesn't have the facts. Yeah. Prima facie, like when I read the complaint, I, I don't see the complaint and I don't see the facts, and so it, when I see punitive damages alleged in a case where again the facts aren't evident, I say, what an idiot, and and I and honestly. I'm not as worried about it. So what's the... What? But if I see facts and punitive damage alleged, yeah, the value goes up. I, I worry about it. I do a lot of, you know, cover myself letters to both the carrier and the client telling them, this is what I'm going to do. I'm defending it. You need to be aware, blah, blah. I can't do insurance coverage policy analysis because I'm representing you on the liability side. You're going to have to find your own lawyer to, to assess this. You might be on the hook for it. Um, blah, 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 blah. Now, give us some, give us some, just a couple of examples of a complaint that would come in alleging facts where you would say, okay, this is a serious punitive damages claim. This is something that we need to take seriously. Um, if if you had, and I'm gonna make up a case here because I don't want to use any examples that I, <laughs> I may have currently, but if you had a case um, where you have a roller coaster and the roller coaster has a history of harming people in the same way and you've got a bunch of you've got a bunch of injury reports none of them went to litigation but you've got a bunch of injury reports where someone has has had kind of a similar injury they you know something hurt something hurt sore neck sore neck sore neck and then and then later on somebody breaks their neck same location you know after 10 years of, of you know 10 reports plus a year and then you get some guy dies, and they're breaking their neck. And this this is a, this is a company that's yours, you know, Six Flags or something, where they're totally solvent. They've got plenty of money in the bank. And it's like the same seat. And it's the same, okay. yeah. <laughs> and then you get this, and you're like, holy crap. Yeah, but give me an example. We're in trouble. Give me a, so the pro- the problem with that example is I I think in that case you would only you would only see the punitive damage claim on an amended complaint once a plaintiff did some discovery and found out about those injury reports? Not necessarily. I think that the, when they they do their due diligence before, I've had a couple of cases where, you know... I mean, how would they find would, that out? Because they can't get access to your injury reports. Call the, gen, the loss of James Sokolov. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of different ways. That, you know, but, there but might be anecdotal of one, reports. One, one where you would see where the plaintiffs would actually, you know, know about something right up front. One example I could give is well, like DUI. A, a DUI. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the quintessential. Well, I mean, you got a, a DUI. So that's the, I mean, that's kind of interesting. What if, so you, what if you got DUI text messaging? Same, I view them as the same. Well, and, and here's the thing though. I mean, you could have a DUI weight. case where you, you allege that in your complaint 
And and the the plaintiff in researching the guy who was the tortfeasor, who's who's an employee of you know some company that has a lot of money, and they learn that this guy he's got a history of you know driving on the sauce. Well, then then there's going to be a claim not just against him and a respondeat support superior claim. There's also going to be a negligent. Well, that's my point though. You're asking yeah. for what scenario would you be worried about a punitive I'm, I'm damages saying claim? That I'd they be worried out from the beginning. I and that's what it, I just tried. I think it'd described. be a valid. Uh, punitive damages claim, even if on uh, a DUI case, even if this was the first time and nobody knew. Well, yeah, no, I, yeah. I I think that that's probably true. But again, you're you're thinking about you know you're asking me for a scenario sure. where and I'm more. Well, and I see a lot of the plaintiff side they use that they try and use it as leverage, right? So, for example, in a case where, say, the generals and the specials aren't very high, but they know that the guy was it's a DUI, so they try and leverage. That exposure to get the insurance company to pay more. Right. Absolutely, and I think right. it makes sense. And it makes it makes sense because it's something. That but then, what is the insurance company saying to you? Like, hey, well, I'm going to give you an example, real world. The, my the own DUI accident. isn't. We're not right. I had a. I was hit via hit and run while I was on my bike. Guy drove off. We found him. Yeah. Um, and I think part hit of the reason runs a hit and runs a good example. Good, yeah, the, the bad bad actor. Bad. He, he just left me bleeding there on the side of the road, screaming. Yeah, and um, fortunately, with, with his rearview mirror. Fortunately, you had a a, 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 a good personal, personal a really good friend buddy who could advise you. So who, he didn't who knows your His name's Dan. <laughs> it was Dan. Yep. <laughs> no, it was Gabe. No, was, Gabe, well, Gabe was, was he gave me some great advice. Relationship. <laughs> well, it was good advice. It was you know what these people. You know your damages, might, your specials ask, might be ask something. Ask for the limits, but you got to ask for the limits because this is a this is exactly the scenario you just described. Yeah, yeah. And it worked. They they were smart. They said, "Forget this. Yeah. We're just gonna pay." So oh, typically, pay you that. find that. Just and they had the life. minimums. I mean, it wasn't like a huge policy limit no. case, but but even even though that the the technical, I guess the party line is, well, we don't cover punitives, so we're not worried about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they were but saying... But they're still... Because the Tenth Circuit has left it open. Well, and because it, it, the punitive damages would just be one aspect of it. I mean, the what people would call the mad money, the... the yeah, well, that's... Angry money would easily have hit 25000 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well... And they might call it generals, they might but, call but, it... But in any scenario, you're going to have that same mad money. Yeah. yeah. Well, and... and, and you got a bad from, actor. From the plaintiff side, though, it's it's kind of interesting. But that's funny because the law asks them to put a number on the mad money. They're not supposed to increase the generals and the specials because they're mad. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that, what and the that, punitives are for. Yeah, well, but, and that's but, maybe why you don't plead punitives. That's the reality, though. So that you can avoid sure, that. Sure, I, I, yeah. I'm saying reality. I'm, I'm saying... I'm saying that's kind of what's funny about the position that punitives aren't covered under the policy, which I, I understand what they're saying. But in in reality, they have to take that into account that, okay, even though the law says the, the jury shouldn't increase generals or specials because they're mad, we all know they're going to. Even yeah. if there's this other section that's specifically designed Stop that. for the when- mad money. And, and 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 so the for the from the plaintiff's perspective I think there's um, you know there's there's reasons why you see it pled more often than you would expect um, partially it, it is like Dan said a negotiating tactic to um, help highlight the seriousness with which you, we perceive a particular case 
But there's a lot of downsides. I mean, it, it, punitive damages are always something that, you know, I love to have a case where I can plead them. I'm less excited about actually getting them. And, and, and that's, it seems strange, but... Um, Unless it's like the tobacco settlement. Well, yeah. Unless you're talking about oh. something where you're going to get millions of dollars in punitive damages. I mean, keep in mind, you know, I am not a, a tax attorney. I don't give tax advice. But my, the few things I know is, is that personal injury damages are... This disclaimer are, brought to us by our CPA sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should get um, yeah, we should. Because we, we say that probably once an episode. Yeah. We're not tax attorneys. But, but person, damages for personal injury are generally not taxable, where punitive damages are. And Utah has this rule, which I think is unconscionable, but they've finally written a version of it that the Supreme Court could swallow and, and that is on the books, where the state uh, claims that they get, because you know it's generally their job to be punishing people, <coughs> Uh, that they that the plaintiff has to split any punitive damages award with the state, and so you could wind up in a situation where you get a lot of punitive damages, not a lot of of compensatory damages, and you know half your punitive damages go away to the state, and the rest get used to you know are are taxed, and so you wind up with a lot less money, and the jury may have thought like, well. You know, we really, not only do we want to compensate this person, you know, back in the jury room where nobody gets to ever hear what happened, they may be thinking, you know, we really want to, we want to compensate this person, but we also really want to send a message to this company or this person, whatever, that that thing they did is not okay. So instead of giving them this huge punit, this huge compensatory award, we're going to send that message. We're going to punish them by giving them this punies award. In reality, what they're doing is they're, they're taking away half their award right off the top, and then the rest of it is getting eaten up by, uh, by taxes and and fees and attorneys' fees and all the other stuff. So how do you get the mad money, and educate the jury that punitives are okay, but no, it's better to be mad at this other. You, stuff. Well, that's with general damages. I mean, you you don't you, you don't, don't ever them. say. You know, we're well, punishing to punish them. We would what? You just don't. You just don't put them on the, the jury form. Yeah, that's and that's a lot of times what happens is, as you get close, if they've been pled, especially been pled mostly as a negotiating tactic, as you get closer to trial, the defense will sometimes make a motion. Um, sometimes I think these are ill advised, but they'll make a motion to dismiss the punitive damage claim. And uh, or you can dismiss it yourself. If I was on the if I was on the defense, I might be very tempted to leave it in there because it gives me the opportunity, especially if I have a really sympathetic client like a doctor or you know some kid who has just learned how to drive and seems like a nice kid otherwise, get up and say, you know, they don't just want compensation. They actually want to punish poor Dr. Simpson, you know, who who, you know, has been just doing his best. Maybe if you you know if you decide he made a mistake, that's fine. But but why punish him for something like that? Um, and you know that can prove a really effective tool uh, for the defense to argue in front of the jury. And by dismissing it, you're taking that away. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for example, so. Um, you know, just so people understand, it, we went over the tax burden, 
Right. Um, so the if if you award a million dollars in punitive damages, the plaintiff gets the first fifty scot free, and then you, the next fifty per, after the fifty is taken off, they get fifty percent, and then after all the taxes, the actual award to plaintiff is like a hundred and thirty grand. So yeah. out of a million, they're only pocketing a hundred and thirty. Yeah. Punitives. So it's it's, you know, it's really something that is. Can, it can be useful for negotiation, but to actually try the case, I'd say I'd want it on a case where it was really large and there was some really egregious behavior because, you know, you, you don't want to screw your client over by... Making all the damages by, unrecoverable. Yeah, by winning the wrong fight. Yep. Good. Exactly. Um, you know, but I, I, I guess I can see it's frustrating to attorneys uh to defense attorneys to see it pled over and over again although i think that um some defense attorneys who represent the same clients over and over and over tend to identify a little more with the outrage of their their clients you know how dare you sue us how dare you plead this and uh get more worked up about things than than need be well, thank you very much for listening in to another episode of the Trial Lawyer Podcast. For all of us here, myself, Gabriel White, uh, Dan Garner, and Scott Powers, just wanted to say thank you for tuning in. And we hope you will go to uh, our website on iTunes or on the podcast app uh, that they've been kind of revamping, or the website where we're hosted, which is saltlaketrialattorney.com. And leave some comments, some feedback. We'd love to uh, get questions from you that we can answer. And um, let us know if there's anything else you'd like to see on the, on the podcast. Otherwise, um, we will see you next week. Thanks again. Bye.